welcome to this week's episode of The Homeschool How-To. I'm Cheryl, and I invite you to join me on my quest to find out why are people homeschooling? How do you do it? How does it differ from region to region? And should I homeschool my kids? Stick with me as I interview homeschooling families across the country to unfold the answers to each of these questions week by week. With us today, I have Rosemary Labrie from New Jersey. Welcome, Rosemary. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I would like to start out by asking you just how many kids do you have and their ages? Okay, so I um, have four, and I have been finished homeschooling now for a few years because my youngest is 20. So their ages are 20. I'm going to try and get this right. Soon to be 24, 27, and 29. And they were all homeschooled. Yeah, it's it's so strange to be looking back, which is all I do these days is look back on all those years. And um, they are now in relationships where they meet people who say, you were homeschooled? Oh, like just like, you know, in elementary school. And they're like, nope, all the way through, through high school. I went to college, but uh, homeschooled. And people are always, they're just so interested in in like, what was your life like? And um, I just, I love hearing my adult, my young adult kids talk about their experiences because they're all extremely happy that um, they didn't go the traditional route. And it was, it was a blast. I had so much fun. It's, it's very easy to find homeschoolers who are doing it. Like they're currently in doing that wet work, right? And their kids are little and they're in the weeds. They're tired. There's so much going on. Um, but it's hard to find people who are done with the job. And I mean, I have a career now. I've moved on in my life from doing a lot of things, but I'm totally finished with home education. And um, But I love to talk about it. And you just, it's when I, I listen to other people talk about homeschooling, it's always people who are currently doing the job. It's never the ones who are done and are now in the next life, you know, grandparenting little ones or 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 whatever. So yeah, I fall in that category. Well, it's funny that you say that because the episode I released this past weekend, which by the time we released this one, it will have been a little bit back. I think episode 23 was with Deb Harris and she is in the same realm as you, but we were talking about that and how there were not many people homeschooling back in the 80s and 90s when she was doing it with her kids and she had six kids and uh, lived in Chicago. And now she is a data scientist and loving her career, but, you know, and, and it was hard for her to make ends meet with just the one income on a family with six kids. Yes. And she yes. had talked about, you know, I would clean a house for a woman on the weekend just to have money for groceries. And then now here she is, you know, later in life, looking back on the fun that she had, the bonds that she had with her kids and s- still do, and how deep those bonds are because of what the home education allowed them to have over the years. And she's just loving it. So that's so great to hear that this is more, you know, more common than, than not. Right. It is. And you know, those years when you're raising children, whether you're homeschooling or not, but when you're raising kids, it it goes by so quickly. Everyone says that it sounds so trite, but it really does zip by. And I remember when my husband and I were first making the decision to uh, homeschool. It was for the first year. Our oldest was going into kindergarten and I said, I I think I want to homeschool him. 
And he was like, well, you know, it's kindergarten. Like, how badly can one mess up kindergarten, right? So go ahead and try that, you know? So we, so I did. And it was wonderful. And we just did it one year at a time. And then it, you know, more kids came along. And the next thing I knew, they were going off to college. I mean, it really was like that. Like, the next thing I realized, I was filling out college applications. And I realized, well, my work is probably done. I'm very, very glad that I gave a quarter of a century to them. You know, if you have like a skill set, like let's say you're well-organized, uh, you're a good cook, you're you're whatever loving person, uh, your kids sh- should be the beneficiary of those skills. Mm-hmm. And I was working at the time. I had a career. I'd had my kids later in life. I had four and I had them at ages 37, 40, 42, and 46. Really? <laughs> Not the way most people do it. Not sure I would recommend it either, but... I had my career first. I was a manager at Price Waterhouse when I met my husband, and I wasn't planning to stop working. And I never even knew what home education was. And then, um, you know, we got married, and then we were expecting our first son. And around the seventh month, I thought, well, you know, I'm pretty good with like admin stuff and details. I'm pretty organized. I, I think I want to give that gift to my family, to my husband and my son. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to have three more. And I didn't know I was going to homeschool. But those skills really, really carried me through those years. And I went back to work when I was done. And I literally picked up where I left off. And I thought, so many, so many days I think to myself, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad I gave it to them. Because when you stop working, you are so replaceable. You are highly replaceable. I work at the Children's Hospital in a management position. If I left tomorrow, they'll find somebody to fill my shoes. I'm not foolish enough to think that I'm irreplaceable. But in my children's lives, I was irreplaceable. And so I'm, I'm really glad I gave them that time. I literally said that exact same thing in the Deb Harris podcast, because I work in government right now. And like you, I had a my career, I've been there for 15 years and, you know, they, especially in government work, it's, you'll get this pension, this pension, this pension, and that's all you're focused on for the 30 years you're there is your promotions in order to get your pension. It's never a promotion because that's the work I want to do. And especially in government work, cause it's all civil service exams. That's, you never get the job that you like went to school for or have a passion in it's I had this score on a test and this was a job available and I was the next in line and that's the one I got so for the last 15 years I've been in a cubicle thinking of myself as a career woman and for what because I got placed in positions because I happened to get a score on a test and um a lot of that's trained by society and um So, and I had a first husband in my 20s and then married my husband now when I was 34, I don't know, 33 maybe, had my son when I was 34 and my daughter when I was 38. So I'm 39 now and I'm like, I don't think I can go back. And and just like you said, I'm not needed there. I haven't been there since last August. I am sure they have, the government hasn't skipped a beat. I'll tell you what, people are still getting their benefits and, you know, like the government, I'm not missed. I'm completely replaceable, but 
I can't even leave my daughter with her grandparents for more than four hours before she's like looking for a breast and <laughs> the nurse, I need to nurse mom. I want my mom. And uh, that is just such a good feeling. And why are we, I mean, we were watching a show recently, my son and I, and they were talking about how walruses stay with their mom for three whole years. And I'm like, they they expect mothers to give up their babies at six weeks and just go back to work. Oh, it's yeah, really I see it wild. Day. I see it every day. I couldn't do it. But I also understand that some moms don't have a choice. Absolutely. There are single moms. There are moms who they just can't, they can't not have that check. And if they're an essential yeah. worker, they have to show up. Then it's daycare. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, I mean, not everyone has the choice, but I really believe that every parent that can make it work financially should give it a try. That should try it. Just try yeah. it. Yeah. You know, I was listening to uh, the news not that uh, a week or two ago, and our vice president, Kamala Harris, was talking about artificial intelligence. So she was educating an audience that didn't need to be educated, by the way, on what artificial intelligence was. And I'm listening to her and she goes, she went through it like very, very slowly saying the machine learns from what you put into it. So what words you say, what ideas you have, that's what goes into the machine and that's what comes out. And that's why it's so important that we know what's going into artificial intelligence so that it's not racist and biased and and prejudiced. And I thought she just perfectly described why parents want to homeschool their kids <laughs> because yeah. little kids, their minds are the machines. And yes, we care very much what's going into the machine because we know it eventually comes out. So we'd like to have a say about what goes in, right? I wish wow. that I could change the title of her speech to why you should home educate your kids. <laughs> yeah. And I bet that was them promoting some sorts of censorship. We have to oh, censor yeah. and have censorship because of what goes in comes out. Garbage in, garbage out. But that, <laughs> that's exactly, yeah. You don't want your kid going right. to the government schools because garbage in, garbage out. We want them to be right. thinkers. So exactly. what sort of approaches did you take with your kids? There's, I mean, right now there's everything from the traditional, like a Becca curriculum stuff mm -hmm. to people that unschool. And that's a big thing mm -hmm. now where we just kind of go out in nature and we see a mm -hmm. caterpillar and Hey, let's go to the library and get all the books on caterpillars and watch videos on caterpillars and, and then the life mm -hmm. cycle and take it from there or whatever's kind of right. tickling my kids fancy. And I respect both of them and they all I'm sure can work for so many different ways. So what was your approach? Well, it was a, a, a mix of both completely hands off letting them run crazy and um, cracking the whip. There were things I did not relent on, and that had primarily to do with math facts, making sure they, they knew their math facts. It was automatic. It wasn't a labored slow, let me try and think what nine times seven is kind of thing. It was a lot of drilling. Everything else was pretty chill. I made sure they knew how to read early on. I'm very blessed in that of the four of them, no one was dyslexic or had any kind of challenges learning to read. And they all learned to read very young. One, 
was reading at two and a half. The others read between <laughs> three, age three and four. And we would go to the libraries. We belonged to like four or five different libraries. Every week we went a few times a week. We'd bring these big bags and I let them pick. They got to pick the book. So even if it was a picture book with three words in it, uh, I never, I didn't say anything. It was like, okay. And, and then they would come home and it was like, it was like Christmas. They would be so happy because they each had a giant bag of books and they would just sit and look at the books they wanted. They had 15 minute reading lesson and that I did not, you know, unless somebody was sick or really ornery, we, we did not skip that 15 minute reading lesson. And, you know, within six months, they were able to read like level one, level two books by using that approach. Frankly, all the rest of the time of the day when they were in early elementary school, they were outside playing and we were going places. We traveled and did things. Um, I never had them tested at all until they were like late middle school. Then I started to think about, because they, they were bright and I, I, at the time, wanted them to get into the best colleges they, that they could get into. Mm-hmm. So I knew that eventually they were going to have to take the SAT. I didn't know, I mean, every mother who homeschools her kids knows if there's a deficit. I never met a mom who had a, a kid age 10 or 12. Maybe the kids struggled reading or struggled with math that the mom was not aware. Mom is aware because it's painful to get it done when there's a problem. So I didn't have any sense that there were any problems, but I wanted to know how they were going to do. So they started taking tests like seventh or eighth grade, and there were no issues at all. So especially for the reading, because that was something that they always did voluntarily. They would sit and read paper books. I read a lot of paper books. So does my husband. So the behavior was modeled for them. Mm-hmm. Also, at least two, and I only could argue three, were raised before the iPhones were such, so ubiquitous. Like the fourth yeah. one, iPhones were ubiquitous and he stopped reading paper books at around sixth or seventh grade. Are you looking for a comprehensive homeschooling solution? It can be so confusing out there, especially when you're just getting started. My Homeschool Village has got you covered. They provide everything you need to homeschool successfully, including customizable lesson plans, interactive curriculum materials, and a community of experienced homeschoolers to help guide you along the way. Check out my episode with Becky, co-creator of My Homeschool Village. The episode is called Why It Takes a Village, Learn the Secrets to Homeschooling from a Mom Who Started 20 Years Ago. And that was aired on May 5th, 2023. With their easy-to-use platform, you'll have access to a wealth of resources and support to ensure your homeschooling journey is a success. Join My Homeschool Village today at myhomeschoolvillage.com and discover how easy and rewarding homeschooling can be. Use code HOW250 to get 50% off of your first year if you sign up now. That's H-O-W with the numbers 250. How 250. And you can check that out with the link and the code right in my show's description. He was too cool for that. He just wanted to play on the iPhone. I didn't have that issue with the other three because they didn't have smartphones. Mm -hmm. So I think that the era in which I was raising them was a little bit different. I do think it's harder today to get kids to sit down and read paper books. So since we had as a goal for them to, to get into the best schools they could, We traveled, we visited colleges very young, like starting in middle school, 
I drove all along the East Coast and we visited every top college just so they could see, like, this is the goal. This is why I ask you to work hard. This is why I want you to do preparation for the SAT, because since you're homeschooled, that kind of matters, that test, if you want to get into this school. Long story short, the first two did go to an Ivy League university. The third one got into Princeton, said no, went to the Naval Academy. And my fourth, who is an uneven landscape of skills, let's say, if JJ were here right now, he would say it himself. Um, He's gifted in languages. He can learn languages like nobody's business. And he got a scholarship when he was in high school to study in Macedonia, tiny little country that borders on Bulgaria. He's now completely fluent in Macedonia, decided at the time he wanted to go to college in the Balkans because he thinks Balkan people are really cool. So he's actually in college at the American University in Bulgaria uh, and loves it there. Says he's going to go back. Yes. So they're all fully launched. Everyone's Everyone's kind of off on doing their thing. But in retrospect, um, because of the things that my first two were exposed to at University of Pennsylvania, where they went to school, um, the shock that they were in with helicopter parenting from the other students, like parents calling, like they had different roommates over the years, parents calling them, did you study for this test? What did you get on this quiz? So I, I never, I never asked them once what their grades were. I didn't even know until they told me what their grades are. I didn't hound them because I knew they were going to get good grades. I knew they were going to study. I knew them as students, right? And it's just the environment of Penn. The the environment is, um, to say it, it's woke doesn't even scratch the surface. So there was a lot of stuff to resist every day for them. And while now they are participating in alumni events, for the first year or two, they didn't want to have anything to do with alumni events. They were like, no, I'm, I, I survived it. My first one had a double major and graduated with honors. So he did really well. My daughter was a science major. She did well, but it was a lot harder for her because she was in a, she had chosen a STEM uh, topic at Penn. But they, she's, she lives in Austin. He lives in, in New York and one's in San Diego and one's in Bulgaria. So my husband and I are getting ready to retire. It's like, where are we going to live? It's like they, they, like Kansas. That's kind of like in the middle of everybody. <laughs> if we pick yeah, a point you, on the map, that's that's in the middle, right? <laughs> whoever has the most kids or has the first kid, that's where you go. Yeah, that's right. Yes. But to go back to your question about um, teaching style and all that, I started out very organized, um, had a list of everything that we were going to do every day. I had my three ring binders. I had my checklists. And it went pretty well until they got a little bit older and they, they definitely wanted to have more say over how they spent their time. And they were developing interests. You know, one was doing gymnastics. My sons all rode for a rowing club in South Jersey. So that takes up a lot of time. That, and then they make, make, made a lot of friends through through rowing. So they had a different emphasis, like, okay, um, I'm going to take this class at this community college. I'll do this one online. I need to be done by three, everything, because I need to get the rowing practice by 3.30. And so they had different priorities as they got, by the time they got to middle school. In a way, it got easier Mm -hmm. because all I had to do was reverse engineer things into their schedules. All the hard math and all the hard science, all of it, I farmed out to tutors or small learning groups, or the local community college. 
Okay. I did not, except for biology, I did not attempt to teach any of those. I just don't know enough. Even if I could learn it temporarily, my knowledge would never have been fluent enough to, or fluid enough to like answer a question that they might've had. I mean, I would, I would say like, wait, I got to look that up. You miss the moment then. There's really, um, I believe in teachers. And I think that finding good teachers, when you homeschool, you can actually find the best. You can, you can, you can find the best person who might even have access to a lab. We did that for physics. Um, It was an ex-physics teacher and she had a lab in her house. It was fantastic. She was an outstanding teacher. I couldn't, and I mean, we shared There were two other students, and so we shared the cost of a three-hour class once a week. Wow. So those are the kinds of creative um, things that you can do. You can do anything you want, depending on your budget. You can skin any cat academically, more so now, frankly, than back then, because post-pandemic, there's so much more available online that I think that homeschoolers might drown in a sea of options more than when the options were fewer. When, yeah. when I was doing Especially it, the online internet was fewer. So you, yeah. for you to even connect with other families nearby that were homeschooling, it was harder to connect if you didn't have the internet to, oh, hey, here's a Facebook group in our area. Let's go join them. And um, yeah, I would imagine certain parts, like you said, were easier because you didn't have to worry about them on an iPhone, <laughs> but other parts mm-hmm. were harder, like the connecting and seeing all, all that's available to you. Now, do you think college, because I was just talking to someone about this, Mm -hmm. that college, that every career or that that should be the goal, or are we kind of in, I feel like we're kind of in a phase where the college is so expensive and, Mm -hmm. you know, if we're like, there are jobs that if we're working on this creativity in our children for, you know, the 13 years, do they, do a lot of them need to go to college anymore? Yeah. I think the answer is no. Yeah. I think the answer is no. And if I had, if I had that decision to do over again, I think my daughter would choose to go. I think all my sons would say, nah, I just would like to get to work. I'd like to start to find out what I want to do for a living because my, my oldest son is in finance. Now he was a philosophy and a Russian major. Really doesn't have anything to do with um, the work he's doing right now. His degree is very useful from Penn, but it, you know, he himself would say, you know, you could have saved yourself a lot of money. By the time your son is 17 or 18, there's not much telling them what you want them to do or be. They have a good sense of it. Um, With Andy, you know, I tried talking to him about other universities. He visited many other universities. He was the fastest lightweight rower in New Jersey in the year that he was applying to colleges, and he had almost perfect SAT scores. So he was recruited by every major university. He said, no, I want to serve my country. And I said, why? <laughs> no, we don't come from, mil- Peter and I are not military fam- We I didn't understand it. I really, really didn't know anybody who was in that life. I didn't know anything about the Naval Academy. He was absolutely certain that's what he wanted to do. Uh, just just to have them drive a car is like scary enough. Like when they get right. their license and a vehicle, I can't imagine yeah. going into the military and, and uh, to the other side of the world. So, they have to practice letting go, I find. Yeah. 
Uh, you know, yeah. all four of my kids traveled abroad when they were in high school. I applied for scholarships. I got really good at that. That was what I helped a lot of other students in New Jersey with getting um, scholarships to travel abroad. So starting for each of them, starting at age 14 or 15, they went on the other side of the world for anywhere from one to six months. And I was was not there. So it was homeschool opportunity or was that through a community college? Like they were getting college credits for that. No, um, these are state sponsored scholarships. They are open to school kids and they are open to homeschool kids. So the NSLIY scholarship, the AYLP scholarship, um, AFS has some scholarships. Um, Yes Abroad, the Congress Bunkstad um, scholarship. So basically the state pays you, students that is, to go and live in a foreign country. Usually it's a country where we've had some conflict or it's a country with a high Muslim population. The goal, of course, is to have other countries see that American students, and to to be ambassadors for your country. But you go to school while you're there. Whatever grade you're in and whatever school they put you in, you go to school while you're there, unless you're going over summer. So each of them had spent months away in another country where I really couldn't help them navigate the world at all. And um, I got better just from the practice at letting go. And I think that that helps a lot. By the time your kid's ready to go to college, you do want to be able to let go. And they, I think my own kids would say, I'm not, I'm pretty good at letting go. (laughs) I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Do you think your kids will homeschool their children? Have you ever asked them? Uh, Yes, I do ask them that. Mm -hmm. The first three, John, Nora, and Andy all say yes. They all say yes. Mm Mm-hmm. They're very, very interested. Well, they see the difference between themselves and friends their age. Friends their age, especially females. This is my daughter. She she sees a reticence, an anxiety, a nervousness, a fearfulness in her friends that she thinks is a carryover from all their school years, where if you're the first one to show up for a party, you're weird. There's something's wrong with you. Like, you know, she's she's always the one that will go to the restaurant first and wait for her friends to get there. No one will walk in or she'll talk to the major G saying, yeah, we're going to have five more arriving. Like we'll just wait here. Like they're fearful. Um, they lack agency. And I think that the greatest gift that you give um, a young homeschool student is the agency. They're in charge of their own days. They might not be when they're five, but by the time they're 15, they are in charge of their own days and they're, Peers are being told when to stand up, when to sit down, when they can use the toilet. They're all looking at the same books. They're all taking the same tests. They're all wearing the same clothes. They get on the same bus. They get up at the same time. They get home at the same time. They are absolutely in lockstep. Talk about a way to rob someone of their agency. I think the greatest gift you can give to a homeschool kid is that. And I actually think have being on the other side of it now, and I saw this many times with, with homeschool families, where they were, they had a student with a special need. They had um, a, a, a son or a daughter who simply could not learn to read, and they they were struggling academically. So they had some kind of learning disability. Those kids, whom I now know as young adults, are the nicest, the most well-adjusted young people. 
that you would meet anywhere, that look you in the eye, that shake your hand, they don't think there's anything wrong with them. They might not be, you know, on the uh, star track, but they're going to become managers at a fast food restaurant or a Wawa or something like this. And they're good at their jobs because they have a sense of responsibility and they haven't been told and taught that there's something wrong with them. I really feel that sometimes just not sending your kid to school, that alone is an advantage. And then everything, anything you add on to that is like, is like icing on the cake. But the real cake is that they're not in that environment. Yeah, I agree. The more I look into it and like my reasons started out on episode one, I talked about the reasons that I want to homeschool and then the reasons I'm fearful to homeschool. And then just um, this week, I I really thought about that list and expanded it now that I've talked to, you know, um, dozens of homeschooling families and really thought about the, the intricacies of these reasons and expanded on them. And I, I put a post on Instagram about it. And just from simple things like we had fire drills, but now they do shelter in place drills. And... That's for school shootings. So kids are at young, young ages, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, getting this put into their mind that a peer or someone in the neighborhood might come in with a weapon and shoot them. And this is what they have to do. And that has to do something to the psyche. That alone, you know, Um, and, and not to mention what you think of guns and your trust for your peers or lack thereof trust in your peers because they could turn on you at any moment. You know, that was one of them all the way into, you know, the ideology of um, the transgender and how, I mean, it's just, it's getting pushed so much by the government that Mm -hmm. I can now, I probably five, 10 years ago, 20 years ago would have, you know, yeah, let's go, go to the parade and March for the people, for equality. Now I see through that, if if the government is pushing this so much, there is an ulterior motive to that, just like the women's mm-hmm. movement of the 60s. You know, So what I've come to realize, um, and I don't know if everybody would agree, but when you look at why China, just before they turned to a communist country, the government was pushing a genderless society. And when you when you remove the genders, you no longer have that physical attraction from a man to a woman. Well, then you're losing the marriage and the creation of a family. And you're losing the creation of a family bond. And then when you no longer have a family bond or you don't ever have a family bond to live for, What's the purpose of living? Why are you living? Will you look to your government then for answers? Well, government, tell me my meaning. Tell me my purpose. Well, I'll tell you your purpose. Your purpose is to serve us and usher in communism or socialism, whatever you want to call it. And that makes Mm -hmm. so much sense. And you mentioned before about how your kids, when they graduated from college, they got through the wokeness and didn't even want to be part of the alumni um events for a couple of years was that even a conscious thing as you were raising your kids to teach them about you know I don't know you know your religion or or your political values but you obviously they came out knowing something different than what's being pushed 
in school today? Was it a conscious decision on your part? And did they have to, were you afraid that they might meld with the crowd once they went into school? Um, the answer to that question is yes, I was. I definitely was, but I knew that they were going to go to college. And I knew that like 99% of college campuses are extremely liberal. Um, I wasn't so concerned about my oldest son when he went off because his ideas about the world were so well formed. He chose to study philosophy because he had read very, very deeply and um, has a you know well-established kind of doctrine in his own mind. And he's also very calm. Uh, so I knew he wasn't going to get triggered um, and he would be, and he would be able to hold his own. So he got through all that and just found it a little bit disgusting at how overwhelming the pressure is to conform. My daughter, I think, swayed. We just got done reading The Tuttle Twins and The Fate of the Future, book number nine in the Tuttle Twins series for ages five through 11. What I love about these books is how it relates back to real life every time. The Fate of the Future has a fun story centered around the book The Anatomy of the State by Murray Rothbard. And even though it's a kid's book, I'm learning right along with my kids. The story in Fate of the Future centers around the importance of competition among businesses and how detrimental monopolies can be. We even related it back to our recent vacation to Maine and how we went out for ice cream to three different places. And because we had options, the ice cream parlors had to compete for our business by either lowering their prices or increasing their quality. Every time I read a Tuttle Twins book to my kids, it sparks the best conversations. And I always end up feeling like, wow, I didn't realize my son could actually grasp concepts like that. If you didn't catch my interview with Tuttle Twins author Connor Boyack in episode 24, you definitely want to go back and check that out. And if you'd like to get the Tuttle Twins books for yourself or someone else, please go to my link so they know I sent you, thehomeschoolhowto.com slash Tuttle, and use code Cheryl40 to get 40% off ages 5 through 11 series plus more. You can use the link and code in my show's description. She she was a little bit, um, uh, what's I don't know what the right word is, but uh, a little shaky. And I remember she was in her junior year when Donald Trump was elected president. And she started texting me saying, the school, I mean, University of Pennsylvania, actually brought little puppy dogs in to have the students sit with little puppy dogs in order to calm them down because the students were hysterical because they thought since Donald Trump had been elected president that the world was going to end. I mean, and I said to my daughter, I said, let me ask you something. Do your friends know anyone who might know someone who might know someone who might have voted for Donald Trump? She said, no. I said, but what does that tell you about their lives? How could they be so isolated that they don't even know someone who knows someone who knows someone who voted? How could they be so separated, so many degrees of separation from what ended up being, what was it, 70 million people who voted for the man? How could they not know a single one? Like, that doesn't make sense. And it tells you something about their worlds. I said, because you know, half the people that she knew voted for him, half the people she knew didn't. Okay, that's pretty good. That's pretty good mix. And I was, I was explaining that to her. I said, you're more normal in that you have seen both sides. You understand that this was entirely possible. I said, but it's not normal to not know anyone who might have voted or in a different way. They didn't admit it, which is, you know. Well, it, their shock. <laughs> their I grew shock up in a time where you weren't supposed to talk about 
who you voted for. Like that was in the eighties and early nineties. You didn't talk about that at all. Now it's like, you better tell me. And then I'm not going to be your friend again when you tell me the answer. I don't want to (laughs) hear. Right. Right. But I think that that got her thinking a little bit about where she was. And um, when she first graduated, she was, I would say middle of the road, a little to the left. About a year later, she was back to being who she was when she went away to college, you know, which is frankly a little middle of the road, little to the right. She's not, you know, she's not extreme in either way, but she just came back to being herself after about a year out of the madness, what I would call the madness. that's, That's nice too. That's good for her. And I had made a transition too, growing up completely liberal and, you know, I voted for Obama. I voted for Clinton um, in that election. And I remember saying to my sister, like, you embarrass me because you voted for Trump. And, um, when COVID hit and I started, um, I started seeing doctors say, you know, I'm treating patients and this drug is working and it's been around for 60 years and it has no side effects. And, you know, the, and then all these doctors came out of the woodwork and I'm doing, you know, there was a gentleman in France um, saying, yes, I'm using that too. And it's working for my patients. And there was another woman on the other side of the country. Yes, it's working for, and they were yes. all on the, oh, the white coat summit in DC mm-hmm. and it was just removed off of Facebook. And to mm-hmm. me, I was like, I, I think that was the first time I experienced censorship And like you have an answer and you're removing it from Facebook. What does Mark Zuckerberg, the dweeb in college that couldn't get a girlfriend. So he created Facebook to meet women in college. Why is he deciding what information I can know? (laughs) Does not make any sense? And, um, kind of like you were talking about before garbage in garbage out, except what if it's facts in, facts out because we don't want you to know them and we want you to think a certain way. Mm-hmm. And from there, I st- my husband's always been um, conservative and I started really looking into um, just different things that, you know, if the media said Trump said this, well, I pulled up the speech that Trump said and I'm like, well, they left a lot of that out. <laughs> they, they took this part and then they took this part and put it mm-hmm. together and they, they left out all the other stuff. And then I started seeing, um, clips from Biden where he, you know, used the N word or where he voted, um, the three strike rule to put black individuals in the Mm nineties in 1996 in jail. And now these poor moms trying to raise these kids in a fatherless home, that's not good for them. And I'm, and I'm putting on Facebook, guys, did you realize this? Did you know what I, I learned? (laughs) Nobody wanted to hear it. So, you know, the, it is what it is, but that was kind of my realization. And I think I'm at the yeah. point now where I don't believe anybody in politics. I think once you get that high up, you're bought and paid for somehow yeah. they've either, they've got you with money or on video doing something that you don't want other people to see that you did. Um, so yeah. I, especially yeah, I working agree. in government, I just, I know how contracts work. Contracts are signed and, you know, even you watch shows like, um, dope sick and that is a true, you know, thing where you're the head of the FDA making laws 
to get through this pharmaceutical company's drug and then, oh, you retired early and now you're the CEO of that pharmaceutical company or very high up. And I think we need to teach our kids that sort of discernment as parents, whether you home educate or you send them to school, that's got to be conversations that we have. And uh, I definitely think you see it more in the home education families that they're having these talks. (laughs) Well, I went to um, SUNY Albany and I know that Turning Point USA wasn't even allowed to speak at our campus. It was just, this is a racist group. They can't speak at our campus. But did any of those people making that decision ever watch or read anything that Turning Point USA uh, published? I doubt it. The censorship um, is, it's really flabbergasting. And I think that's the one thing I'm really glad that social media has brought that to the forefront. I I think that most Americans now are, are very aware. Whereas five years ago, we were not, maybe COVID was the, the catalyst that, you know, kind of brought it all down, but um, I'm glad because it's been going on for, it's been going on forever. Yeah. You know, it's and not, I had it's no idea. Something new. I was in a matrix. My mom still is. <laughs> oh yeah. There are plenty of people who still are. Yes. I sat, I was at a wedding recently where the person I was sitting next to just said, you know, I really love our president. I think everything he's doing is great. He's just doing such a great job. And I laughed out loud. And then I went, Oh, actually she's serious. So I didn't want to be impolite. So I just was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> there we go. You know, it took a lot for me to swallow my pride to say, okay, I shouldn't have voted for Hillary Clinton and, you know, maybe Trump isn't as bad or maybe he is. I don't know. I don't know the man. But the policies, that's all I know, right? I mm-hmm. can look and see what bills were signed and that sort of thing. And you, so, right. <laughs> but um, it's, it's hard to swallow your pride and say I was kind of misled or whatnot, but... Um, there's a lot of people that can't do it. And even for me to, so then, yeah, after being on the Trump train to then say, okay, guys, I don't think we can trust anyone in our government because they're probably the opposite sides to the same bird. And we really need to be in on this Mm -hmm. as the people, we, the people, you know, we need to become more self-sufficient. We need to bring businesses back here. And whether it starts at the local level or not, I mean, the people up there at the in the White House, it's too high up there in their own thing. We need to bring it back to the local elections and to just becoming self-sufficient in our own homes and, you know, with our children. That's um, right. That's right. The whole self-sufficiency times. thing. I, I love that whole topic. That's basically what I read about in my spare time when I read I love the idea of growing my own food and eventually not, not going off the grid or anything quite that ambitious. I'm a little too old for that, but um, just being less dependent on all the services and a little more aware of how fragile all those services are. I know my husband, he does commercial HVAC, but he's working. I mean, he works with nuclear plants and, you know, all that stuff. And he's like, you would be surprised. It is one button to shut off all the electricity and mm-hmm. probably the entire state of New York. <laughs> that scary? It's, it's so scary. scary. <laughs> yeah. And just working in government for 15 years, 
I believe it. It's unorganized. It's people in positions because of a test score. You didn't have to come from, you didn't have to work your way up in that unit or field or anything. It's your, you're the next one on the list. So therefore you get the job. You might know nothing about it, but now you're signing contracts. And I mean, Cuomo, he got contracts for his buddies. Um, our taxpayer dollars are paying them. They're, they messed up everything. It's wasted money, wasted time. And I'm sure that is just a drop in the bucket. You know, it's really, <laughs> it makes you crazy. Yeah. But um, what would what would advice be now that you're at the other end of the spectrum from a lot of moms that just kind of woke up during COVID and are now like, mm-hmm. I got to homeschool my kid. I can't send them to public school. What advice would you have for us? Well, a couple of things. What kids really want the most, what they want more than anything in the world is our time, right? And that's the thing that's hardest to give them is that like time. I think that the first decision a homeschooling parent has to make in order to become successful at the job is that decision. You're going to give them your time. So that means you're not going to do all the things you want to do. You can always carve out, and I always carved out a little bit of time for myself at the end of the day where I would exercise and have like my own, like a little treat and a cup of decaf. And then, okay, fine. So I I had time for myself, but everything else during the day, it was, it was about them and it was for them. So with that as a backdrop, I think that taking them places, traveling, I I think, you know, to focus on a, a curriculum and to check boxes all day is a mistake. You want them to come out in the world not not thinking like inside of a box. You want them thinking outside of a box all the time. So I wouldn't give them books that come in a box and have you working like within that box. I would take them places to museums and spend time talking about ideas. And wherever you go, just to be asking, well, I wonder why the people here do this. Why do you think that it evolved that way? Um, To be engaged with them in conversation. I mean, there were times I would lose my voice because we were talking. My kids and I were talking so much about, you know, something we saw at a science museum or an art museum. We did a lot of museums. We, I mean, at least once a week, we went to a museum before they all started into their sports and stuff like that. Um, Teaching them basic skills, cooking. I had this theory that a good homeschool has three parts to it. It's one-third dojo, one-third cafeteria, and one-third library. So to go back to that, like the dojo is, it doesn't matter whether you live in a city or a country, but it's just making sure that they have plenty of time to play. Unstructured play, where... You know, you don't sit them down in front of the Legos and like you got 30 minutes, quick, put together your Legos because then we got to leave. But just unstructured time for them to do what they want, make a mess inside, outside, and taking physical risks, you know, jumping from one thing to another, maybe falling down and scraping your knee. Who It doesn't matter. Uh, so the idea of dojo is that for them to reach their physical potential, they have to do a lot of stuff without a lot of supervision. So you have to figure a way to get that in there. And it can be inside the house or outside the house. Um, the cafeteria, that's that's the kitchen. And I really am pretty serious about nutrition. 
and making sure that they're not eating fast food. One of the greatest advantages that you have as a homeschooler is that you can provide home-cooked meals. It's way better than, than processed meals. And so once they learn how to do it themselves, you know the old Bible verse, rather than like give them a fish, teach them how to fish. I invested time teaching them how to make the things they really liked. They like making pancakes from scratch. I'm going to show you how to do it. Here's you know, just these ingredients are the only ones you need. Now make yourself some pancakes. And they had all different cafes. They used to make up cafes. They would make up little menus and they would make me buy a cookie off the menu from them. They could spend an entire afternoon doing something like that. So the kitchen was a hub and I taught them to cook and I did a lot of cooking. And they they came to like like real food and they eat mm -hmm. real food. They eat meat and potatoes and vegetables and they know how to bake cakes and things like that. So I think that the, do the dojo, the cafeteria, and then the library is just to fill your house with interesting books and not to have fights with them over what they want to read. I learned this early. My, my oldest son, when he was about six, got into these books called Secrets of the Droon. I hated it. It was sci-fi and it, to me it was junk reading. Of course, the library had like 50 of them and he wanted to read every one of them. And I just like zipped it up and said, okay, secrets of the drone it is. And he read every single one of this. He, he became such an enthusiastic reader because I let him choose what he wanted to do. So I think um, having books lay, lay around everywhere. A lot of times families will um, over the years have asked me to come to their house because they want to talk to me because their kids won't read. My kids won't read. I don't know why my kids won't read. And I look around the house and I don't see any books. I said, well, where are all your books? Do you read? And they're like, no, no, my husband and I, we don't read. I said, well, you know, try, try setting up a reading hour where all the devices get turned off, but let them read what they want. If it's Ripley's Believe It or Not book, so what? It just let them, give them some, some choice in this realm. So the dojo, the cafeteria, the library, I think that the, the, it just hits the three main realms of healthful living. If you're reading well and you're eating well and you're moving around, then all the other stuff is going to get filled in. It doesn't take long to sign up for, you know, a, a little chemistry class or, or something. You know, they'll get all that other stuff. And frankly, half of it they don't need. They're not going to college. Most of it they don't need, but they do need how to read, know how to read critically. And, you know, I think that's, it's important to emphasize that. So I don't know if I answered your question or not, oh, but I absolutely. have a suggestion. Mm -hmm. I have a suggestion. You're probably aware of this, but I didn't become aware of this, this um, company until 2011, I think. It's called Learning Unlimited. Okay. So it's a nonprofit organization that organizes um, graduate students in universities all over the country to teach classes on Saturdays to kids on any subject under the sun. So the classes might be like the chemistry of chocolate brownies um, or the Latin in Harry Potter, um, how to make a lollipop, fossils, um, it could be some extreme topic in math or geometry. They tend to be fairly arcane, but they're broken down into a small piece and made like intellectually available 
to like middle, middle school age kids and they're cheap. You sign up and it's like $30 for the day and your student, your kid might go to four or five different classes. Oh, wow. And they're all, it's all over the country. It's primarily the East Coast. Most of the schools on the East Coast have, I mean, there's one, Columbia, MIT, I mean, all, all the major universities and also some just like regular universities. And they're springing up everywhere. And we, when we first went, we did a two-day uh, learning thing at MIT. And I took three of my kids. My oldest was in college by then. And they said, unbelievable. We finally feel like we're around our people. Like these are kids who really are interested in learning. They will not let parents pick out the classes. The kids pick out the classes. You don't have to take notes. There is no test. And if you're not interested in paying attention, they just kindly ask you to go and sit in the back of the room and just don't make noise. So they don't care if you don't learn anything. They just want the kids who are really interested in learning to be able to ask questions and they just talk. It was wonderful. We went to as many as we could in a year and I never stopped going. And they even have special weekends that they have things like at Yale, they have one where it's three or four weekends in a row on a particular topic. So you can actually get to know the other kids in the class and actually get some good learning in. They'll take you to the Peabody Museum and you'll learn about every single thing that's there. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that makes learning exciting. Yeah. Not dull. You know, you're sitting at the table, kitchen table with a workbook, like oh, it's as dull as death, right? So I would say do as many things like that as you can. But you see, it does all begin with giving them your time. Yeah. I'm going to put it, a link to that in the show notes. And you said it was yeah, called Learning, Learning Unlimited. Unlimited. Learning mm -hmm. Unlimited. Okay. That's it's, it's just a wonderful organization. And like I said, there are programs going on all the time, all over the country. They just started back up last year. Of course, they had to give it up over COVID. It was all online during yeah. the COVID years, but that's that's just not the same as being there and seeing other yeah. kids with whom you feel simpatico because, you know, they also gave up their Saturday to come and learn about rocks and minerals or, or yeah. whatever the topic is, you know? Yeah. And that's what I've loved about this podcast is like just learning all the different things. Like I hadn't heard of this one yet. And, you know, there, I, I always <laughs> write down the resources and put them in the show notes so that people can go back and, you know, look at it and have a, a, a link to go to in case they are driving and missed it. But I mean, stuff like that is amazing. And who knows, yeah. who knew that it was even, you know, that right? it existed. It's a well-kept secret. I don't understand it. The MIT one is now so popular. Theirs is the largest that it's a lottery system. When it first opens, you quickly apply and then they'll let you know if you got in or not. There are up to 1,500 like right. kids just pouring into the classrooms and the students, I have to say, do a fantastic job. I now uh, volunteer to go and talk to parents at these oh, events because lots of times parents stay around. They don't want to leave, like say a 12 year old, they're not going to go home and leave the 12 year old, but because these kids also have to figure out how to get around campus because they're not all the classes in the same room. So um, since the parents tend to hang around, they look for something, some programming for the parents. So I had volunteered 
uh, many times to talk to anybody who wants to hear more about homeschooling. And usually the room fills up and I talk until I don't have a voice. Oh, that's amazing. Not hard to imagine, huh? (laughs) No, that's amazing. I'm sure you're a wealth of knowledge and so helpful to these families. Rosemary, thank you so much for being with us today. It, so quickly, we run up on an hour. But I know, I can't believe this that. Is, yeah. This has been so wonderful to hear and so heartwarming and so nice to see that, you know, four children grown and I always love hearing, will they homeschool their kids? Because then you kind of really know, like, right. did they appreciate it? Right. And do they want to provide this for their kids? So that's really cool. And congratulations to you. They sound like they were just so wonderful. And and to you on, on your new career. Thank you. And that that's a big thing. And that's something that I had discussed on the previous podcast, too, where uh, women, we can have it all, just maybe not all at the same time. Indeed. So. And true, truer words were never spoken. Yep. Well, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Same here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of The Homeschool How-To. If you've enjoyed what you heard and you'd like to contribute to the show, please consider leaving a small tip using the link in my show's description. Or if you'd rather, please use the link in the description to share this podcast with a friend or on your favorite homeschool group Facebook page. Any effort to help us keep the podcast going is greatly appreciated. Thank you for tuning in and for your love of the next generation.